we are finishing up the last sermon series that we've been a part of. Just a short sermon series called Marriage and Sexuality. And we have spent time with Pastor Kenny walking us through what is God's design and plan for marriage. And I talked about what God's design and plan was for the sexual relationship within marriage. Now today, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about how we can have forgiveness, freedom, and victory in these particular areas within our life. And so I'd invite you to join me. Let, let's pray together as we enter into this time. Father, as we spend time looking at this particular area, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be strengthening us, encouraging us, convicting us, and working in our lives in the ways that are needed. In Jesus' name, amen. Michael is 46 years old. He has been battling lust and pornography since he was 14, which is long enough ago that the first times he looked at pornography, it was in magazines. Of course, it is now far more readily available for him. It's all around. Michael has a wife and three kids between the ages of 15 and 21, and he is a follower of Jesus. He really thought that by this point in his life, at age 46, he would have had victory in this area, that there wouldn't be any more temptation, that there wouldn't be any more battle, that this would have all dissipated and gone away, and yet that isn't where he finds himself. He finds himself continually locked in the battle of lust and pornography. And every time he gives in, there is this deep sense of regret and guilt. He confesses it to God. He pleads with God that this would be the last time. And then, two months later, sometimes two weeks later, sometimes two days later, he finds himself there, back in front of his computer. And there are times that Michael wonders, can I even be saved if I keep going back to this over and over again? Mandy has been married for seven years. She has two beautiful girls, ages four and two. Mandy loves Jesus and her husband and those two girls with all of her heart. But there are times where Mandy's mind wanders back into the past, where she had sexual relationships before she was married. And when she thinks about those times, she feels dirty. She feels ashamed. She's confessed them to God. She's confessed them to others. But as she thinks about those things, she thinks about the pledge that she made in youth group that she would save herself for sexual relationship until she got married and how she was committed to that pledge until the day that she wasn't. How over the course of her college time, she had three relationships with guys that all led to sexual relationship. And as she sits in her kitchen with her four-year-old and her two-year-old, their purity almost seems to make the dirtiness and the shame greater in her life as tears come to her eyes. Jesse is 18. Jesse started dating Anna six months ago. They met at youth group, and both of them want their relationship to be pleasing to Jesus. They want to be righteous in the things that they do. Jesse knows that means having a physical relationship with Anna as they go through this dating stage that is pure, that is according to things that would please God. But there have been a couple of times where he and Anna have been alone where things have gone further than he would have liked. 
afterwards, he feels guilty. Afterwards, he's like, man, I, that can't happen again. And yet, it happens again. He's concerned about where this is headed. He's concerned that it might go further. He doesn't want that. And yet, when he and Anna are alone, he wants that. Michael, Mandy, Jesse, none of those people attend Friendship Church. But they are indicative of a war going on within the church as a whole for souls and relationships, and the battlefield is sexual relationship. And the question that we ask is, is there any hope for them? Any hope for freedom? Any hope for victory? Is there any hope for us? for forgiveness and freedom and victory in our lives? The answer to that question is yes, or we wouldn't be here this morning, right? There is hope in Jesus. There's hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I want to deal with two different issues. The second one that we'll deal with in a few minutes is, what do I do if I have sexual sin in my past? and I've confessed it. I've dealt with it before the Lord, but I still feel dirty. I still feel shame in my life from time to time. How do I deal with that? We'll get there in a few minutes. But the first issue that I want to deal with this morning is, what do I do if I am in the battle right now? And I can see places where I am losing the battle in sexual sin. How do I handle that? Is victory possible? Whatever that looks like. Maybe the sexual sin is lust and pornography. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's same-sex sexual activity. Maybe it's, I don't know, you name it, whatever that particular sin is. Is there a way that I can have victory here? Again, the Bible's answer is absolutely yes. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with me. We're going to begin in verse 1. It says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so what? More and more. You notice what he says here? The goal, the aim of the Christian life is to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. But there's also a recognition. God understands that we are not instantly perfect at the point of our salvation. And so Paul says, you guys, day by day, increase in that righteousness more and more. There's growth there, isn't there? I bring that up because when it comes to sexual sin... There are times where we're tempted to just see our failures. It may be that in the past, our pattern was failure, failure, victory, failure, failure, victory. And now, 10 years later, our pattern is victory, victory, failure, victory, victory, failure. But we get so locked in on our failures, we're like, there's no hope. Come on. I want us to understand that God's desire for us is that we would grow that when it comes to living a godly life, it would happen more and more. And if you can see growth in this area of your life, celebrate that. And give God all the glory for what he is doing as he makes you new. More and more. The next verses say, For you know that what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your Christ-likeness, your righteousness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Notice how our, our sanctification or our Christ-likeness is connected here to abstaining from sexual sin and controlling our bodies. This is a major way 
in which we live out the Christian life. Not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. This, this is fundamental and important, verse 5 says, because it separates you from those who aren't God's people. One of the things that separates God's people from not God's people, it's not the only thing, but one of the things is purity when it comes to the way that we handle sexual relationships, not in passions of lust like the Gentiles. For God has not called you for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Can you feel the weight of the end of that? Right, that's a little weighty. You're not disregarding man, no, you're disregarding God and the Spirit that lives within you if you live in impurity in these areas. I want to contend that there is no way that God would have told us to live in purity, to abstain from sexual immorality, to control our bodies if that was impossible. He is calling us to fight and battle in this area with his Holy Spirit and victory is possible in these areas, right? Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, there is victory possible in those days as we walk through them through the power of God's Holy Spirit. How is it possible to have victory? Let me give you five things that the Bible talks about that are important for us if we're going to have victory in this area. First, recognize the seriousness of sexual sin and go to war against it. Recognize the seriousness of sexual sin and go to war against it. If there is ever a sense in which we don't take sexual sin seriously, well, we just live in a sexually charged culture. I mean, everybody gives in. I mean, it's just, it's just a sin. There's lots of sins out there. It's not that big a deal. If we ever give in to that mindset, then we are defeated from the start. God wants us to understand if you're going to have victory in this area, it's going to come because you recognize the seriousness of sexual sin and you fight and you battle out of that. A wise king teaching the young princes growing up in his household about how to battle sexual sin wrote this, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. But what does he say? He says, there is something alluring about sexual temptation. But ultimately, it's destructive. It brings us down to the death of soul and relationship. I have seen marriages ripped apart by pornography use. I have seen kids damaged deeply from parents who got divorced or parents who committed adultery. I've dealt with adults who are dealing with having been sexually abused decades later and trying to work through and process that. I've seen the damage that is done by my own lust of the eyes. There's a seriousness to sexual sin. It does damage to us, the author is trying to say here. Jesus agrees and says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. What does Jesus say here? He says, this is serious. And we need to be willing to do whatever it is in order to fight. He says, pluck out your eyes, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, we need to be willing to fight because this is serious. 
Paul identifies that sexual sin is unique in the damage that it does to us. Uh, we may tend to think, well, I think all sins are the same. And James chapter 2, verse 10 certainly indicates that all sins are the same in the sense that they make us guilty before God. But the Bible certainly doesn't teach that all sins have the same impact on our lives. That's why Jesus in John 19 speaks of greater sins and lesser sins. And part of what Paul wants us to understand is sexual sin, it's unique. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. There is unique damage done within the framework of sexual sin. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that helps to motivate us so that we won't give in in these areas. We need to recognize the seriousness of sexual sin and go to war with it. The enemy's attack in this area is to say, it's not that big a deal. Hey, don't worry about it. It's just sin. I mean, there's lots of sin out there. Now, you, live, you live in a, a hard world. Yes, we do live in a hard world when it comes to this issue. But it, it's serious, and, and we need to recognize its seriousness if we're going to fight with all that we have, with all that God gives us in order to fight in this area. And oddly enough, one of the primary ways we fight is by fleeing. Right? We fight by fleeing, by fleeing temptation. That same king advising his sons about how to avoid uh, sexual sins says, And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. He says when it comes to this temptation in the area of sexuality, don't just stay away. No, no, stay far away. Don't let sexual temptation anywhere near the door. There is all sorts of temptation towards lust around us. There's this temptation towards lust that we see most grossly within pornography. But that same lust towards the physical form can be seen in almost any media, any social media. But there's also this lust towards the perfect romantic ideal that takes place sometimes within romantic movies, romantic books, romantic shows. It's not about the perfect physical form. It's about the perfect romantic ideal that I wish I had. And it is also a covetousness. And whatever that lust is, whether it's for the perfect physical form or for the perfect romantic ideal, we're to flee from it. If that is primarily coming to us through our computer, we got to get rid of our computer. If the primary temptations we're facing are because as a boyfriend and girlfriend we're spending time alone, then we need to not spend time alone. And sometimes people are like, that sounds extreme. Do life without my computer? Do life without my phone? Do life? No, no. Living in sexual sin is extreme. We, we want to seek righteousness with all we have. Uh, no one is... Uh, when, when we say get rid of your computer, when we say uh, do whatever is necessary in order to eliminate that temptation, I've got to remember Jesus' words about how severe we need to take this when he says, pluck out your eyes. Whatever you got to do to get by this temptation, we flee temptation. Third, we want to have victory in this area more and more in our lives. We got to confess to God and to others. 
Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Imagine that I had a first floor kitchen, and above my first floor kitchen was a second floor bathroom. And one day I look up at the ceiling of my first floor kitchen, and there's a giant water spot all over the ceiling. Well, I got people coming over in a couple of days. And so I get out the paint and I paint over that water spot. I don't want them to see it. My company comes, they go. Three, four days later, the water spot's back. It's bigger and darker than ever. I got more people coming over. So I paint over it again. Three days later, the water spot's back. It's bigger than ever. So I paint over it again. Eventually, what is going to happen in that process? The bathroom is going to fall through into the kitchen, isn't it? Because I am just painting over rot that is taking place in there. The only way to deal with that situation is to open it up and expose it. And the same is true when it comes to any sin, but particularly sexual sin in our lives. There is no victory in this area if our primary aim is to hide, to battle it on our own. God says we have to be willing to confess. We confess to God. The Greek word in the New Testament for confession means to speak the same as, or to say the same word as. It's to see our sin and speak it in the same way that God does. Not just to utter a quick confession, but to actually see and say our sin is what God says it is. God, you, you say our sin is an abomination before you. I see it as an abomination before you. God, you say our sin does damage to relationships in our soul. I see that it does damage to relationships in our soul. God, I see that you love me, and you want what is best for me, and so you don't want this in my life, and so I too don't want this in my life. As we confess, we speak the same thing as God about our sin. But we don't just confess to God. What else does it say up there? We confess to God and others. When God gave us a pattern prayer for us to model our prayers after. One of the petitions is forgive what? Forgive us. I want you to notice it's not forgive me. It's a community prayer. Forgive us as we come together and we confess together in community the sins that we are dealing with. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So often as I'm processing these kinds of issues with people, I know that someone is ready to get serious about having victory in this area when they are ready to confess to other people. Because it's at that point that it becomes clear they care more about righteousness and living God's way than they do about what people think of them. And it's when that happens that you can see, yep, they're ready. They're ready for genuine victory in this area. God calls us to be a people who confess our sins to him and to others. That is the only way there's victory and healing that takes place in this area. Related to that, we need to fight alongside others. God hasn't designed our growth with him to be an individual sport. He's designed it to be a team sport. We are to run alongside our fellow believers. We're to fight alongside our fellow believers. The only way we can grow to become more like Jesus is within community. 
There are New Testament passage after New Testament passage that talk about the one anotherness of our relationships with each other. We're to carry each other's burdens, instruct one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, spur one another on, pray for each other. 59 different one another passages within the New Testament, all of which are reminding us there's only victory if we battle together in this. And so by all means, we confess our sin when we have sexual sin to other people, but then that community battles for righteousness with each other, right? We, we go and we run this race together. We fight alongside each other. And the final thing I want us to recognize if we're going to have more and more victory in this area of sexual sin is this. We need to recognize this is a spiritual problem and seek closeness with God. Recognize this is a spiritual problem and seek closeness with God. I read a book about uh, sexual sin and lust a few years ago. And that book treated sexual sin primarily as a habit. And if you can just break the habit for six weeks and form a new habit, then it'll be gone forever. Now, I'm not suggesting there aren't habit patterns that need to be dealt with here, but that isn't the foundation of the issue. The foundation of the issue is one of faith and intimacy with God. Faith and intimacy with God. One of the things that I've found is that when people commit sins in this area of sexual sin, and, and you ask them about it, they would never commit the sins that we are talking about if there were other people in the room watching them. Whether we're talking about adultery or pornography or whatever it is, they wouldn't commit those sins if there were other people in the room watching them. And one of the things that we recognize is God is always in the room with us. As a matter of fact, Paul says when it comes to fighting sexual sin, one key understanding that we're to have is that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's not just in the room with us, he's within us. And so within faith, we recognize his constant presence with us. And so when we commit sexual sins, it is primarily an issue of faith. Do we believe and recognize his presence with us? Do we believe and recognize that he's within us right now? So in order to battle this, we need to grow in faith. We need to grow in intimacy with God. If we are eating from the grand buffet of intimacy with our God, the junk food of sexual sin is less appealing to us. But if we are not eating from the grand buffet of intimacy with our God, then the junk food of sin is far more appealing to us. And so when somebody comes to me and says, I really want to battle in this area, what, what do I do? One of the first things, not the only thing, but one of the first things I tell them is, I want you to fast one day a week. Pray and fast one day a week. Sometimes they're like, what? Every week I got to pray and fast? And that's usually when I remind them, like, I'm not asking you to pluck out your eyes. right? Only pray and fast one day a week. It, it belies a little bit of our understanding of how serious sexual sin is if we're like, what? Pray and fast a day a week? No, no, this is serious. That's what Jesus wants us to understand. And so we pray and we fast. Sometimes people are like, pray and fast a whole day just so that I won't give in to sexual sin? And I say, no, pray and fast for a whole day in order to draw closer to God. 
We don't pray and fast for 24 hours it, just about being free from sexual sin. Yeah, that's a part of our prayer life during that time. But the primary thing we're doing through that prayer and fasting is drawing closer to God. Because this is really an intimacy and faith problem that we're dealing with here. We need to draw close to him so that the junk food of sexual sin is less appealing to us because we are feeding on the beauty of our relationship with God. How can I have more and more day-to-day victory when it comes to sexual sin in my life? Recognize the seriousness of sexual sin and go to war. Flee temptation. Confess to God and others. Fight alongside others and recognize this is a spiritual problem and seek closeness with God. Now, before we're done, I want to deal with that other issue that I brought up earlier. This this is for those of us who are daily battling in this area. Those of us who are giving in and need to know, how do we have victory? But what if we're more in the situation that Mandy was in? Remember Mandy? Where she had committed sins in the past, she'd confessed them, she dealt with them, and yet she still felt dirty and ashamed so often. How do we have freedom from that kind of shame, from the things that are in our past? Let me give you a couple of things. The first is meditate on the gospel. When I say meditate, I don't mean hear it from your pastor occasionally. I mean, no, no. Dig in on passages in the scripture that are about our complete forgiveness coming only through the work of Jesus Christ and his great grace in our life. Meditate deeply and richly on the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, list a number of different sins, particularly sexual sins, that the Corinthians were involved in. And Paul says, if that's still the pathway of your life, If your pursuit in life is still these sexual sins, then you're not a follower of Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus, now there's a battle. Now there's a battle going on. And if Jesus has saved you, then you were washed, made clean. You were sanctified, declared holy. You were justified, declared righteous in God's courtroom. Why? Because you were good enough, right? No, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's His work that brings that forgiveness to our lives and that cleansing to our lives. Meditate on that gospel truth. You may say, but wait a minute. That's all fine and dandy, but I actually became a believer and then sinned sexually. Now what? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is for you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is not about the initial forgiveness of justification. It is about the forgiveness that's necessary in order to reopen intimacy with our Father when we've sinned against Him within the family. And within that framework, it says, if we confess our sins, what happens? Right? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have confessed your sins before God, if you have dealt with this, what has happened in your life? You've been forgiven. The Greek word here for forgiven means to leave something totally and completely behind. When my kids were six and four, we were on a cross-country road trip, and we stopped at McDonald's, and they got Happy Meals, which means they got those, what, two-cent toys that come in the Happy Meals? I don't know how much they're worth. They're not worth a whole lot. And one of the kids left it at McDonald's, 
We got back in the car, and we were three hours down the road on the interstate when suddenly one of the kids alerts me that they'd left their toy back at the McDonald's. And a little voice in the back suggested we may want to turn around and go back for it. And the answer from the front was, no, you need to forget that toy ever existed. It's so far in our rearview mirror. Are you kidding me? And in a far greater way, what God wants us to understand is, believer, if you have confessed that sin, it is so far in the rearview mirror. You need to recognize that it is gone. You've been cleansed. This is a laundry word for a stained garment that goes into the laundry and comes out as good as new. Those barriers that our sin build up in intimacy between us and our Father, confession tears those barriers down and fully restores that intimacy that we have with Him. Meditate on the gospel. How about Colossians 1, 13 and 14? And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us, what percentage of our trespasses? That sounds like a lot, right? All our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Your sins have been canceled, forgiven. Imagine if I went to the Hennepin County building this week and I told them, I want to pay my water bill. They said, "Uh, we don't have any record of a water bill under your name. I said, but I want to pay my water bill. And they said, uh, I'm sorry, actually it shows here that you haven't lived in this county for years. Yes, but I want to pay my water bill. But, but you don't live here, sir. We don't have a record of a water bill for you. That is what shame is like in our life. God has completely canceled it. The debt is cleared. It has been washed clean. But in shame, we want to come back and pay for what doesn't exist anymore. God says, no, recognize it. It's been canceled. It's over. Meditate on that gospel truth. Meditate on truth like the fact that there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been declared not guilty. As a matter of fact, you've been declared righteous with the righteousness of Jesus. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. If you're Uh, If you're a follower of Jesus, your sins are covered. Your sins don't count against you any longer. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That is true when it comes to our sin. Think particularly about sexual sin in this area. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus has taken all of that sin and all of that punishment upon himself. It no longer rests upon me. God says, I, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God says, they're done. They're out of here. They're gone. Do we have more authority than he does so that we feel free to bring them back up? And Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. What, What beautiful and good news, friends if we are wrestling with shame, if we feel unclean about things that we have confessed and that we have dealt with, God says, no, no, have your mind renewed by meditating on gospel truth and it will transform your life from the inside out. Meditate on the gospel. One more thing I want to say before we're done. If you have sins that you have dealt with, I want to encourage you to keep moving forward for God's kingdom. 
Too many times I've met people who have sexual sin in their past, and particularly sexual sin, who put a cap on how great an intimacy they might be able to have with God because of these things that are in their past. Or they put a cap on how much they might be able to serve God because of the things that they have in their past. Right? God doesn't know any such cap. He wants you to understand that there is no barrier in the way of you experiencing full intimacy with him and fully serving him. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 4. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. He's not perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. Right? He's not perfect, but this one thing I do. What's the one thing you do, Paul? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the one thing that Paul does? He forgets what lies behind. He's not going to look back there. Instead, his eyes are firmly focused on Jesus, and he is running with all that he has forward into what Jesus has for him. Do you think that the enemy ever tried to tempt Paul with shame and feelings of dirtiness? Well, what do you suppose the temptations were for Paul as he sat next to a mom and her three kids, and he was the one who oversaw her husband's execution because he was a follower of Jesus? What do you suppose Paul's feelings were like when he sat with a, a mom and children whose husband and father was in prison because he'd put them there? You think the enemy ever tried to bring temptations towards shame and towards dirtiness in Paul's life? Paul says, the one thing I do, I don't look back. That is covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. Instead, I strain forward towards him, knowing there's no cap in how much intimacy I can have with him knowing that there's no cap in how much I can serve him. Don't allow past sexual sin to ever allow you to say, well, God wouldn't use me in that way. Well, God couldn't use me to do. No, no, no. He can. He wants to. He will. That is behind. Instead, strain towards what is ahead. I want to encourage you, if you have sinned in the past and you feel dirty and you feel shame on occasion about that, Meditate on the gospel and by all means, keep moving forward towards Jesus and serving him. In, in this three-week study on marriage and sexuality, we have covered some things briefly. Right? Three weeks isn't a very long study of this particular subject. And for those of you who would like to dig in a little deeper, I thought I would provide a few resources. If you're like, yeah, that, that was great, but... I sure would love some more info and read a little more. And so I've given you a handful of resources here that you may, that you may want to read. The first is a book called Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry. I want to recommend this to you. It is about her story out of the gay lifestyle and the way that Jesus saved her and restored her, but also deals with a lot of the theological underpinnings that were a part of her processing and what God did in her life. The second is from a classmate of mine from seminary, actually, named Christopher Yoon, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. He teaches at Moody, and this is a wonderful book about all that God has made sexuality for. The third is Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With by Sam Albury. And, and if you're a teen and want a book, a book just called Sex by Scott Perry is a great book that I would recommend for you as well. The forgiveness and freedom and victory that are possible 
are only possible because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we're going to celebrate that right now as we participate in the Lord's Supper together.